think in sales, there's for a very long time, there's been this reliance on rewards. Like, oh, what incentive are we going to run this month? How do we kind of extrinsically motivate our team by providing some kind of reward or travel getaway or cash incentive to get them motivated to keep selling? And we're totally neglecting the fact of why do we have to provide this reward? Why is our team feeling burnt out? Why are they feeling unmotivated? Asking the really hard question and digging in there, I think, is what that bucket two of leaders do more as they kind of get curious, they become empathetic, they look to connect with their team versus just saying, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to say, here's a $100 or $1,000 cash incentive. Go get it. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Jeff Risley. Jeff's the founder of the Sales Health Alliance. And today is another one of the conversations we're hosting this month in May about mental health and sales. Now today, Jeff and I are talking about the potential future ramifications from all of the stresses that sellers have felt in the past year. Now the problem is that just a few companies have acknowledged this. And unfortunately, it seems like most are pushing harder than ever. So we're going to dive into why Jeff believes that sellers are relying heavily on willpower to force themselves to push through the work tasks, but you know they're not resting, they're not recovering effectively from all the stress. And in his mind, as he's going to share, this means an overcorrection is coming. Jeff believes that one outcome of this will be a sizable increase in what he calls sales sabbaticals. We talk about what that means in terms of top salespeople deciding to take a break and do something else or nothing else for a period of time. Jeff and I talk about why he believes this is going to rock the sales workforce and it's going to rock sales teams all over the world. And we dive into what sales managers need to be doing right now to create a sales environment where they can balance the stress that's just part of the job with the need for performance. So all of this and much, much more before we get to Jeff. I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Andy. Happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you back. And this is one of our conversations that we're having uh, about mental health in sales. In particular, we're going to sort of focus on burnout today. But this is one of a series of conversations we're having through the month of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month uh, about mental health and sales. So maybe for someone who hasn't listened to your first episode on the show or is not otherwise aware of you, explain what you're doing at the Sales Health Alliance. Yeah, so I'm the founder of the Sales Health Alliance, and I created the, the Sales Health Alliance to essentially help salespeople improve their sales performance and their resilience through better mental health. So... This is born out of my own experience from working in sales, dealing with panic attacks and anxiety, had a bout with testicular cancer as well. And my whole belief around kind of mental health and sales is right. look like sales salespeople are corporate athletes. And how do we start kind of changing the conversation around mental health? Because when sales teams become anxious, depressed, and burnt out, their sales performance starts to suffer. So my work really focuses on equipping them with the pads and the helmets they need to play a contact sport each day. <laughs> Uh, interesting contact sport. Yeah, I mean, I was reading a, an article this morning uh, online about a uh, uh, soccer player for Fulham in the Premier League, English Premier League, who yeah seemingly had it all. Uh, was part of Fulham as they won promotion from the the second tier of English soccer to the Premier League, but was basically becoming paralyzed by panic attacks. 
And mm-hmm. yeah, it was not exclusively performance related, but you know, he was finding himself having these these you know moments of extreme anxiety in the middle of a match, right? I mean, so you know, this as to your point about you know, we are corporate athletes as sellers, uh, we have to pay attention to it because this you know, mental health because it has an impact, as you said, on on the performance. For sure. And it's like, for sure, it's been around forever. And I think a lot of athletes are really starting to open up and talk about it because you think about those high stressful games, high stressor games, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to start to impact your mental health if you don't have the right kind of strategies and the right perspective and the right ways to navigate this in a, in a healthy way. So as it does in sales and high stress moments and, and uh, even some non high stress moments. I mean, you talk about your experience with panic attacks and anxieties you know i've talked as well about mine one time you're flying hundreds of thousands of miles a year and getting to the airport one morning and not being able to get on a plane Mm -hmm. Um, it's 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 crazy like when you're not aware of kind of that movement down the mental health spectrum and when those when those stressors really start to impact us it really starts to catch it can really blindside you and all of a sudden it's saying your body's going you're done. Nope. Listen, you need to listen. Time to prioritize. Right. And um, yeah, they can be total perspective changers when when you do experience some of these situations. Well, yeah, for me, it was it was not even like yeah, I've been traveling extensively internationally. It wasn't like an international flight. It was getting on a flight from San Diego to San Jose. You know, an hour. Yeah, a flight I'd mm-hmm. conservatively had taken yeah a hundred plus times, and just mm-hmm. like. Walked on board and said, "Nope, I have got to get off this plane." <laughs> hey, when I when I was at my worst, it was like I couldn't even go out to dinner with my friends. Wow. It was like just kind of being surrounded by people in this like restaurant environment, right? With all of like the the noise, like and feeling claustrophobic if I was like trapped in a booth. That that was something that I struggled with like for a long time, and it was sure. all kind of rooted from the buildup of stress that I was facing within sales. So. Right. I feel you on that. Like these kind of small things become really big things when uh, when when you don't have the right strategies. Well, yeah, especially for me, I said out of the blue, it was like I didn't think I was feeling abnormally stressed, but uh, hey, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, and it was a startup and all that stuff, right? Well, I mean, you. Mm-hmm. So I was intrigued by posts you had just recently written about sales sabbaticals, which is really an article about burnout. Um, mm-hmm. But tell people what you wrote, and and uh, yeah, I want to go through that and and talk about this in larger context. So I think this is this is something that people need to be aware of. Yeah, so it was really written just so I've been kind of speaking to various organizations. I connect with salespeople and sales leaders all the time, and the more conversation I was having, the more I was realizing that this. Um, the amount of strain and stress that we face have been facing as a result of COVID and the amount of change that we've gone through has not been re- met by the same intensity of support right. within our organizations and kind of upskilling our ability to navigate this stress. And a lot of people have kind of been operating business as usual. And as, as a result, I'm kind of, I've been seeing that there's this kind of pressing cloud that's about to blindside, I think, a lot of sales organizations who aren't ready for it, which is a sales sabbatical, is, I think, going to be very common in the near future. Um, And this is primarily because of the intense, like I said, the intensity of stress. We haven't really navigated it in, in, in the proper way, the ability to travel. So you ultimately need to be, in the past when we were working sales, 
we would recover from stress by usually taking that one week, that two week vacation, and then we'd come back and be like, we're all good. And that would mm. help reset the body, but travel hasn't been around. And the right. other way you can kind of manage stress is if you can do it on a daily basis. So you can be doing things like self-care strategies on an ongoing basis to manage those stressors on a daily basis. But we haven't really been trained, a lot of salespeople haven't really been trained to use stress to their advantage, understand the importance of this stuff. And as a result of the pandemic, we've been working longer and harder than ever before. So we've really missed out on this critical recovery piece in our ways to manage stress within sales. And I truly believe that an overcorrection is coming and an overcorrection in the form of a sales sabbatical is something that I would expect to happen to quite a few salespeople and organizations. So you're defining the sales sabbatical as, and you're focused primarily at, we'll call it top salespeople, but salespeople who financially can afford to do it, mm -hmm. which, uh, yeah, you might think, okay, it sort of leans toward the, the top performers, but they're just going to stop out and say, look, I'm going to take six months, I'm going to take a year, I'm going to do something because, I, A, I can afford it. Uh, and I would think even in some cases, people that can't afford it are going <laughs> to, or maybe can't afford it in the right way, but are prepared to find another profession for some period of time to support themselves, just saying enough is enough. Totally. And if you think about kind of the organizations that have waited to have this conversation, this mental health conversation within their teams, it's it's got to happen. Like the body is not meant to hunt, hunt, hunt nonstop. Like we need to. And that's the thing that sales is missing is, is an absolutely critical piece that sales is missing is this recovery metrics piece. We track and measure everything, but we're not measuring our recovery, how stress, how stressed we are every single day. What's our level of self-esteem are we sleeping right what's our hrv like on an ongoing basis that's how to kind of measure right. your overall overall strain so totally it's uh it's it, it's going to be happening and i think especially right now with kind of social media and travel pictures being so fomo related and creating that kind of urge of fear of missing out i can just see it where you know one salesperson leaves an organization and is posting pictures on a beach and hashtag quit my job hashtag sales sabbatical uh that mm -hmm. is something that could very easily trend very quickly um like as you as you highlighted for the sales people that have the financial freedom to be able to do this well and, and you're you look at sort of the demographics of sales these days that at almost any point in time sales tends to trend a little bit younger uh you know like stay there people ask me sometimes why there aren't more older salespeople, and i think <laughs> the reason being is they sort of self-selected out because they couldn't handle the stress. And not from a negative standpoint, but it was just that it became too much and not worth it. And, you know, the other things are more important in their lives. And I've seen that. I might, gosh, almost certainly nobody that I started with uh, is still in sales, maybe one or two that I've, I've talked to over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people selected out. Mm -hmm. And... I think what you're describing is a scenario where potentially the people that uh, you want to have stay that you think are, it's funny, there's, there's sort of this image, I think, among sales managers that their top people, given they're performing so well, are less prone to being stressed out. And I think that that is, that's a wrong perception altogether. Yeah, I 
would, would agree with that fully. Uh, and I think something that's been really interesting, I've recently did a survey, we partnered up with Uncrushed, and Richard Harris was part of this as well. And right. I think you may have mentioned it last week, but this, this yes. problem is only uh, getting bigger because when I did a survey pre-pandemic back in December of 20, 2019, I found that more than two in five salespeople struggle with their mental health. So it's about 43%. And when we asked right. that same question in a survey, we got almost close to 800 responses. It's insane. That number has since jumped to 58%. And for wow. and especially for kind of frontline sales, frontline sales managers, account managers, account executives, and BDRs, that's numbers more like north of 60. So it's really it's been really an interesting snapshot to capture kind of what's really changed as a result of, of, of COVID and really the need to start prioritizing this stuff because you're right, top performers, it's the 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 pressure to be perfect, the pressure to kind of be number one all the time is almost as bad as sort of someone at the bottom who essentially mm-hmm. has nothing to nothing to lose or is feeling like they're on the outs like there's they're both equally different not necessarily equally but they're both stressors in their own context yeah well there's there's i posted about this a couple of years ago there's this psychological diagnosis called achievemophobia mm. and it's people if fear of achieving and part of this is driven just as you said is is the problem with achievement or excellence is it breeds expectations of more excellence. And that can become quite a stressor for people. Um, is to the point where people almost will sabotage themselves because they're afraid that if I go out and close this big deal for this amount, you know, $200,000, now they're going to expect every deal to be $200,000 or the next deal will be $300,000. So subconsciously, mm-hmm. they back off. Well, that's, that's what I call, uh, I like to describe as upper limit happiness. Like a lot of people, if you think about kind of the emotions that we face on an ongoing basis, a lot of people think of anxiety being rooted in negative events, negative stressors that make you really angry mm-hmm. or make you feel judged or insecure. Right. But the other side of the coin is really positive events also have anxiety tied to them. They're, they're really vol- oh, things yeah. like joy, things like extreme happiness. Those are really vulnerable experiences because it, triggers to your brain that wow you've done something so awesome or you've closed that big deal but then all of a sudden now you have something that you could lose whether it's reputation maybe that deal falls through two weeks later whatever it is like that upper limit happiness has anxiety tied to it and as a result a lot of us have a tough time remaining present and really enjoying these moments if we're not aware yep. of that kind of like i said that upper limit happiness of these the vulnerability that that exists with within joy and, and and these really happy emotions yeah i mean i had a sales guy that worked for me and we were we were closing big deals you know multiple millions of dollars and and he was quite good but he could not stay in the room like in the last <laughs> 20 minutes leading up to closing a deal <laughs> uh, he he would just get up and he'd walk out and it's like the deal was done, right? And we were just dotting the I's, crossing the T's, but just the stress of that. Uh, and it was always, I said, a positive event for him. And he had done a great job. But yeah, his anxiety was such that he just could not bring himself to be present at those moments. Mm-hmm. But that's an example, right? That's an example of these yeah. stressors that we face in sales that a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of. And as a result, that stress 
has to be met with at some point some form of recovery where we learn how to right. shut off the cortisol and the adrenaline going through a body. Right. Like we need to do that. Otherwise, kind of burnout is when we burn through all of our, adre our adrenaline and our endocrine glands are empty and we just don't have any kind of ability to move anymore. So, recover right. like I said, recovery is absolutely a critical piece that we're totally missing. And if you think about top performers, if we want these salespeople who are thinking about these sabbaticals to, um, to be able to perform at their best, you really want to kind of adopt that corporate athlete mindset, like a LeBron James or a Serena Williams. Recovery is a huge part of their performance and their training schedule every single day and every single week. Yeah. Well, I, I give the example on a conversation with somebody yesterday and repeat it here, but yeah, I'm a big soccer fan and, and a Premier League fan. And, you know, I'll turn on a match sometime to see one of my favorite players play and, and they're not in the game. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're sitting on the bench. But what you find out afterwards is that, hey, these players are monitoring everything they do, their recovery, their exertion. And the performance coaches said, yep, too high a risk. They're not fully recovered, too high a risk of incurring an injury. If they play this game, they need to sit out. Mm -hmm. um, and to your point, in one of the articles you wrote, is you know, it's sort of, that antithetical to so many sales managers that have sort of the suck it up, hey, you know, don't bring your personal shit into work. I'm sorry you're tired, but you got stuff to do. Mm -hmm. uh, where you'd said that, yeah, despite what's happening and despite the acknowledgement of everybody about the additional stressors during the pandemic and because of all the changes, that you know, you felt most companies were still operating the same as normal. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I think some companies are trying to do things about this, like. Um, I, I know there's the, this idea of like we days or the additional day off here and there, which, mm -hmm. which companies I've heard are starting to offer. And it's great. It's great that to see that companies are trying, but I think where they're missing how to maximize these kind of we days or these extra days off here and there is they're operating under the assumption that one salespeople know what stress is two, they know mm -hmm. what level of stress they're under and three, they know they're they're expecting that salespeople know how to recovery recover or they see the benefit of actually maximizing that time with various self-care strategies right. or meditations versus oh i'm a salesperson i have an extra day off um why don't i okay pick up a case of beer or play some video games or kind of like do things that aren't going to contribute to an efficient recovery so they right. have the right idea around providing sort of these kind of like releases but they're not. They're assuming that sale that the people know what to do with that extra time that will actually benefit the performance. Right. Well, I mean, I think with like a, like a lot of things in sales is we identify a problem with with the individuals, mm -hmm. and to your point, we sort of presume the individuals know what to do with it or do about it. Where really, what we should be doing is enabling frontline managers, the people who are most in touch with those individuals, with the tools, the skills, the knowledge, the information to be able to help. And yeah, you know, certainly this is this is a problem. You know, let's take us mental health aside and just say general coaching of sellers. Yeah, you know, we don't provide we in general, you look at the trainings provided to sales managers, it doesn't include how to coach effectively mm -hmm. for the most part. Mm -hmm. Very few get that sort of training. Um, and so here we have another big issue, which is yeah, you know, people are struggling, and not just more people than we think are struggling, to your point. And 
this frontline resource, how can we expect them to be real sources of, of, of support if we haven't enabled them to be able to be that person? Mm-hmm. I think you're, you're, you're right. Like I think manager training is a big piece. Leader training is a big piece. Equipping the individuals, like I said, giving them the pads and the helmets to play this contact sport and knowing how do you stress to their advantage is a big piece of this. But I'd even add structurally, I think a lot of things are um, fundamentally wrong with sales where we consistently, if you think about, I don't know if we talked about this on, on the first episode, but we consistently are asking our teams this raising our targets of going up into the right, up into the right, up into the right. And when you're doing that, you don't necessarily have the capacity to allow for recovery. And I'm not saying this is the wrong approach, but the way I would, if I kind of was to hop into a fresh sales organization and say, hey, Jeff, here's a blank check. How would you organize your team with with targets? I'd implement something similar to like the schedule of a marathon trainer where you're tapering right. up and you're tapering down. So you'd say, right. okay, we're going to hit 15K this month, and then we're going to taper down and hit 12K the next month. Taper up, taper down, taper up, taper down. So you have a gas month followed by a rest month. And as a result, you're still going up into the right, but you're giving your team that ability to take their foot off the gas a little bit so that we can start prioritizing that recovery from that stressor that we just faced. And Kevin Bailey, he's, he's awesome over at DreamFuel. Mm-hmm. He, what what he's seeing is he's he he said, look, salespeople are are doing this already. They're pushing hard uh, for for an entire quarter, and they're taking whether they the managers know it or whether they like it or not. They're taking those two weeks, three weeks off of the next quarter, anyways. They're not they're online and they're selling, mm-hmm. but they're not performing their best. They're not trying their best. Right. So they're grasping at these periods to try and get recovery, but. The problem is they can't recover as effectively because they feel guilty about doing that. So if that's happening anyways, why are we just not aligning our quarters to say, okay, look, like we just hit our, we just hit our our, our big quarter this month. We need to start prioritizing. How do we change our expectations of what we want from our team in that next month after that stressor to give them more flexibility, to teach them how to recover, to teach them how to manage stress so that they can start to ramp up and hit that quarter and that ramp up in the second and the third month of that quarter. Well, I think so the analogy of of the marathon runner is is apt, right? Because really what's what you're doing through the course of following sort of a regimented training program is you're teaching your body to handle more and more stress. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're an mm-hmm. elite athlete, uh, you're trying to train your body to be able to run a marathon, run a marathon distance at a higher average pace. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can't go do that on day one. It's it's your body has to adapt to the ability to handle that stress. And this is a part that's missing in sales is we don't have a way we're teaching yet where you know sort of widespread as we teach people is, you know how do you build your resilience? That's really what that is. Your ability to adapt is how do you build your resilience? And mm-hmm. Yeah, there's sort of the anti-fragile, anti-fragility way that talk about is, you know, this is a way to how do you grow through adopting to shocks and stress. Sure, people can do it, but we need a formal way that managers understand that they can help impart to sellers is how we do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I apologize for the person in my LinkedIn network. His name is Nick. I'm drawing a blank on his full name. I feel really bad about this, but he came up with the term 
the sales enablement of well-being is essentially what we need within sales right now. We have the sales enablement of, you know, we have technologies and all these awesome tools and coaching and to optimize our sales process and our people from a sales craft standpoint. But what we're missing is how do we optimize our people from a mind and body standpoint right. to help them perform on an ongoing basis. So I, uh, I made a post the other a few weeks ago saying, which company is going to be the first one to hire a VP of sales enablement, of sales enablement of well-being? Because that right. company is going to have so many people applying to that job because <laughs> it's, it's a clear sign that they get it. They actually get that, you know, stress isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's how you manage stress is when things become negative. And if you have a position that's specifically built for sales, that's focused on how do you optimize and manage stress so you use it for growth rather than use it for um, burnout and, and fatigue you're going to have a way better sales team overall and you're going to attract a lot of people that kind of feel the same way. And it really requires, what you're talking about, a culture change in fairly significant ways, right? I mean, I think I sort of look at, if you look at sales managers, I sort of divide them into two two camps. Uh, one I call sales bosses and one sales leaders. And, you know, sales bosses are sort of the conventional macho, by the number, metrics, suck it up, you know, work hard all the time. Mm-hmm. And really more about process and less that process and the numbers as opposed to sales leaders that understand that their success comes from making each of their individuals the best version of themselves that they can and try to provide the resources to, and the coaching to be able to do that. And yeah, we need not only more training from people, we also need this culture change that people understand that they're more likely to succeed as a, a leader as opposed to a, a boss. Mm-hmm. And I think that the second group there, um, you, you talk about uh, a sales leader who I think is less dependent on providing rewards. I'm reading a really great book right now. It's really dense. It's called Punished by Rewards. And it kind of goes into a lot of the research around how rewards don't actually help us achieve what we want them to achieve. So when we're offering a reward, it actually makes people less creative, less willing to take risks. They do toxic things like hide mm. their mistakes and their performance suffers because they're so focused on the reward that they're not able to actually focus on actually doing a really good job in the task sure. at hand. And I think in sales, there's this, there's for a very long time, there's been this kind of reliance on rewards. Like, Oh, what, what incentive are we going to run this month? What is this kind of like, how do we kind of extrinsically motivate our team by providing some kind of reward or travel getaway or cash incentive mm-hmm. to get them motivated to keep selling? And we're totally neglecting the fact is of why, why is it, why do we have to have, provide this reward? Why is our team feeling burnt out? Why are they feeling unmotivated? Asking the really hard question and digging in there, I think, is what that bucket two of leaders do more is they kind of get curious, they become empathetic, they look to connect with their team versus just saying, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to say, here's a hundred dollar or a thousand dollar cash incentive, go get it. And that person who's saying providing that incentive isn't realizing that they're actually not achieving the peak performance that they're looking for. So it's really, really interesting. Right, and I think this this applies the same way to you know general incentive based compensation and quota, right? I mean, mm-hmm. what you're describing scenario, which you know people talk about Goodhart's law, which was you know that states that you know when a measure becomes a target, it loses value as a measure because people optimize their processes to achieve the target, right? Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, you, you give people these. Uh, it certainly works in quota because people look at quota sort of a uh, self-fulfilling prophecies. You will look. I'm going to orient my target to hit that number, which has no relation for the most part to what they truly might be capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. and the same thing. Same thing is true, perhaps with with the you know the short-term incentives uh, mm-hmm. that people have. I, Go ahead. I was I was, I was going to say incentives quote of very very much the same thing because it's yep. it it immediately is just all about it creates that without really knowing it it creates this individualistic culture within your team where in your head you're saying okay quota I need to save myself first I need to hit quota because of all of the rewards that I will personally get and it's the people who become secondary are your teammates, your company, more importantly, your customers, mm-hmm. and you kind of get that commission breath and all these other things that come into play. So totally, I think we, we're in for, a, we, need a, we need a huge overhaul in terms of how we're using rewards, how we're using incentives, how we're using kind of quote overall to motivate people. And wouldn't you say that includes gamification? I would. I would. I was a big game. I, honestly, I was a big gamify guy when I was a sales leader. I thought it was awesome. Uh, I thought it was, I think part of gamification is I think like the intention behind it needs to be genuine. Is the intention behind it to build team camaraderie or is the intention behind it to manipulate people into doing things that you want them to do? And I find if you approach it with a different lens of what's the, like, what's the real purpose behind it, you can kind of make people feel less like they're being controlled. Like that's a big thing when people feel controlled mm-hmm. or that intrinsic motivation just goes through the floor. Right. But if you're using, I had a really great uh, sales leader I worked with previously, his name is Ryan Hiscox, and he was amazing at building really unique gamified type of sales competitions that I th- I think were built bec- to build that team camaraderie, camaraderie less about the micromanagement, less about the control, and they worked really well in terms of boosting overall morale. But I'm, I'm with the gamification is kind of a gray area. Yeah, I mean, I always sort of looked at it, and I never felt the need to to do it much in the organizations I was running. Is is, but it's like, yeah, ask salespeople what you, what what they want is just one more competition, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're already competing to get quota, competing against themselves. They are measuring themselves against everybody else in quota, whether you think they should or not. And yeah, let's let's add one more level of, of stress and competition on there. Yeah. I'm sitting thinking, Dad, did you ever poll salespeople and say if that's <laughs> they'd find that effective? Uh, yeah. Especially for the people who lose, right? There's going to be a group sure. of people that lose that competition, and you are essentially kicking part of your sales team down when, like I said, adding that added stress. So yeah, it's 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 really. Uh, it's really interesting. I think it kind of goes back to just ask why, like get sure. comfortable asking why, like before you say, before you have this grand idea of running this massive incentive, ask why the person that you're trying to motivate, like why, like get curious, why might they not be motivating? Approach that conversation from an, from, from a perspective that you want to learn, you want to support them, you want to listen to what's going on and actively take their feedback and do something about it. So. Um, yeah, why? Why is such a good question to, to, yeah. that we forget we forget about? <laughs> well, let's jump back into something you talked about before, though. Which I and I've had other guests on that we've talked about this, and I think it's it's 
something you can do as an individual, it's, it's at least to begin to start educating yourself, is there are ways to capture data about rest and recovery and levels of strain you're under, uh, certainly a, a series of wearables that exist. Um, and I've, again, had guests on the show where they've talked about this, where you, and there's certainly apps that exist online to help you with this, uh, whether it's the app that goes with a Whoop or, or uh, you know, something like Gyroscope. But <clears throat> what's your advice to people about sort of dipping their toes in the water and, and uh, starting to pay attention to how much sleep they're getting and the impact of sleep? I mean, I, I recently <laughs> was concerned about that, so I, I got one of these fancy things ate sleep that, yeah, I, I slept hot. So this way I sleep cooler now. And I'm finding just in the few weeks that we've had it, it's like, holy cow, level of sleep and the quality of sleep has just gone through the roof. And uh, today I was out on my bike for, yeah, about 23-mile ride this morning before work. And it was just looking at, you know, the power I was outputting on a very sort of easy pace and the, the speed I was, I was like, wow, this is really having an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was sort of just, you know, on the workout side, but just during the day is, you know, I don't feel like I'm, I need to nap at two o'clock every afternoon suddenly. Um, so that's just one, one example, but you know, people, you can track all these things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge, like I've been wearing, uh, I got a whoop here. I've been yep. wearing a whoop for, I guess it's coming up on a year now and it's been a total, total game changer for me. Um, How in so? terms of helping, uh, just in terms of helping me kind of get in that better idea of where I'm at throughout the day in terms of my overall stress levels and mm-hmm. where I'm starting out. Like Kevin Dorsey has a really good, good perspective on like managing expectations in the sense that he talks about how we're supposed to, we want our team to give 100% every day and we're operating under the impression that we're sh- our team is showing up with a, a glass of water that's 100% full every day. When in actually, like, there's people showing up, their glass is 30% full, their glass uh-huh. is 50% full, glass is 60% full. And giving 100%, it means you're emptying what's in your glass. If it's on 60%, you're emptying 100% of that 60%. So Whoop, for me, has been really helpful because it actually gives you a metric, essentially, that says, hey, based on how you slept and based on how much stress you were under the, the day before, here is how much your glass of water is full. Here's how recovered your body is based off mm-hmm. of this data input and using that on an ongoing basis. So what I do is I, before I, I, I shut down for the day, I make a to-do list for the next day. I plan in my self-care activities and I plan in the different things that I want to be doing to kind of, based on how I'm feeling, what's the rest and recovery that I need to do the next day. Then part of my warm up my routine when I wake up the next day is I take the data from Roop and say, oh, I'm 90% recovered today. So I can go way harder on my workout that I have scheduled, or I need to taper it back and go for a walk instead. Right. Or I know my morning is going to be really stressful. I'm going to have two back-to-back presentations. So I'm going to need to build in an extra recovery period, whether it's a nap, whether it's a meditation, mm-hmm. whether it's just a walk outside. So it's given me really actual insight that I can do to help make sure that when I'm showing up for a podcast, when I'm showing up for a presentation, I'm showing up my best self. And for any top sales performance, top sales performer, that should be their goal. It should be, how do I show up my best self in front mm-hmm. of every call, every demo, every proposal to make sure I'm putting my best foot forward to ensure that I'm 
performing my best and delivering the best experience to my company, to, to the customers. Right. And part of that is as an individual, you have to seize control. You have to be willing to push back people that don't want to provide the space or the time to do these things. You know, if you need extra time to recover uh, from a stressful situation, I mean, I, I don't usually schedule anything, do most of my interviews on Thursday. I try not to schedule anything <laughs> serious after those. I have one meeting, that, but um, it's not a stressful meeting. But yeah, you have to build those periods in. And, and if you're working for a sales boss who's, you know, wants to have it count for every single minute of your day, that may be the wrong fit for you. And mm -hmm. you need to put yourself in situations where you can set, have this autonomy and be in control because at the end of the day, sad as it sounds, is no one cares more about it than you. And uh, you know, if you're coming up and showing up to work as just a, a partial version of yourself, your water glasses, as Jeff said, is always at 65% when you show up. It'll affect your performance. Yeah, no one's going to care. If you're not hitting the job, doing the job, no one's going to care. Yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. And it's, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm seeing from my perspective, like when I made that sales sabbatical comment, I can't tell you how many message, LinkedIn messages, how many emails I got, how many things from salespeople reaching out saying, hey, I'm gone already. I've already quit my job. <laughs> or, or I'm just waiting for Costa Rica to be open back up or Europe to open back up where mm -hmm. it's, you know, I don't need to quarantine. Like the amount of messages I got, it's like, it was crazy. And it was just like, wow, like this is, this is coming. So there's these, these sales radicals are coming in the form of, of uh, Game of Thrones. Winter is coming. Um, and sales leaders, like you said, like they need to start thinking about how do they start approaching this from a perspective where it's not human and it's not natural to be on all the time. And if you right. adopt that mindset where you expect your team to be hunt, 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 nonstop, you're setting yourself up for a disaster specifically right now because the because of the added stress from the pandemic. Yeah, and interestingly is, yeah, we talk about this, you know, hunt, 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 hunt. And yeah, I was having a conversation about this and he, he thought, well, yeah, that's really the way it was back, you know, 40, 50 years ago, that's sort of old school. And, and I said, no, you know, I think with the advent of the technology we have in sales that actually it's back as strong, if not stronger than it ever was. That sort of mentality is because, hey, I, I've got you know, full transparency in, in what, into what you're doing, or full visibility into what you're doing. You have, you're fully transparent as a seller. I think it's worse. I, well, the, da the data is, is showing that it's getting worse for at least the data that I've seen. So right. I agree. I think technology is, there's it's good and there's bad technology. There's people that know how to use technology to their advantage and there's people that know how to use technology that will, that will burn fuel them, out. burn yeah. people out. Yeah. Slack's a big one. Like Slack, I just, uh, I know it's a big one in all sales organizations, but there's this weird culture where you always have to be on and you, and, and there's so many ways that you can just use that technology to, you know, turn your notifications off, shut it down. Don't have the app on your phone. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of like the bit when I asked kind of people about kind of Slack and how they're using it, the biggest thing people said that really helped them was just get it off your phone. You don't need to have it on your phone because right. it just keeps you in that perpetual state of, needing beyond needing to be responsive and right. sales leaders you should be saying to your team 
look, if you respond to a, if you send a Slack message or you respond to a Slack message after 6 p.m. that's not the house is on fire, like stop. Like we need to do something about setting in the, right. setting expectations and putting those boundaries into place. So last bit I wanted to get into is is. And you make the comment in one of your posts, as you said, companies may feel in command of the talent pool now, but what's going to happen when the top 1% to 3% performers walk out and don't come back? And I think part of this conversation we're having is that, and I, I feel this sort of happening just as someone who's been in sales forever and, and through all these changes and sort of at the leading edge of things, is that, yeah, I sense a little bit of a sea change, that this relationship that sellers have with their employers is going to change. The, mm -hmm. You know, seeing some examples of it, small examples of it now, you know, the model's broken and we've sort of said gone, we talked about is the way we're using technology in some instances, the way people are using it. But I, I, I wonder whether, you know, the trend is back to, back to or going to, yeah, sellers having more autonomy, more freedom, more economic freedom, perhaps, to mm -hmm. dictate the terms under which they work. Mm -hmm. I think so. I think I think that's that's a huge part of this. I think we need to take a hard look at how do we make work more meaningful for sellers again? How do we make it purpose-driven as opposed to metrics-driven? Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of like a big, big piece. And how do you, like, sales sabbaticals, giving a salesperson, you know, time off, two or three years into their career to take a month or take two months, like the ROI should be there. That sales top salesperson should have made enough money that there's a, that's a no brainer. And what you want to be thinking about is like, why as an organization asking yourself or as a sales leader, why am I scared for this person to take this time off? Like, it's just kind of showing that it's kind of highlighting that kind of unconscious idea that, well, I haven't built an environment that they want to come back to anyways. Mm. So I don't want them to take that time off. So it's looking yourself in the mirror, and you're in the mirror to say, well, I shouldn't be afraid if someone takes a month off because my organization is so awesome and this is the best place that people want to work. So, and I kind of give them recovery metrics and I give mm -hmm. help them rest and recover and use stress. Like this is the best place to work. Take your, take your month, get perspective, come back. I know right. it's going to help you. Uh, and the other thing that I think is going to be really interesting is this is kind of like a, a million dollar idea. If I, if I had a, a second Jeff that I could copy myself or clone mm -hmm. myself, I think, sort of nomadic uh, sales hubs in travel destinations, whether it's a Costa Rica or different places in South America or Central America, mm -hmm. really like nomadic sales-focused hubs, I think are going to be a huge, huge opportunity for, for someone that creates it with, that has really good internet, brings in really good sales trainers, and then organizations can send you know their top four, their top five salespeople to these hubs to work for a month or two months at a time to give them that opportunity to recover, but also put them in these like, these like, not necessarily boot camps, but these like elite level kind of situations where they're not only learning from top talent, but they're learning from peers at other companies that are doing things super well as, uh, at the same time. So that's where I think the future is going is these nomadic high tech sales hubs in different areas and going to go into your point these kind of like giving salespeople autonomy that they need right. to do their job well and treating them like people instead of like animals or, 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 <laughs> or, or pets. Yeah. Well, or worse. Yeah. Well, I, so I, that's a good, right thought. I had not, I had not thought of that. That's, that's very, very interesting. 
I wonder whether it goes beyond that, though, whether the future is that companies don't employ salespeople, that they're basically all free agents, um, more like a professional sports model to some degree. But um, yeah, like I think the thing, I think why sort of performance metrics and mental health metrics and recovery metrics have been more important to sports organizations is because you give an athlete you give an athlete the big contract. So you're build, you're committed to that relationship for multi multiple years. And as a result, when you're paying someone $20 million a year, like you want to make sure that you're managing these things. But salespeople don't necessarily have that same luxury. Like sales is similar to the NFL, not for long, where <laughs> recovery metrics aren't a big thing in, in the NFL, from my understanding, because they know that they can just churn people in and out. And there's someone that's as good or equally better kind of off on the sideline that they can pop right in. So um, well, that's sort of the like way basketball. we manage sales now, though, right? Is, is totally, totally. People are certainly interchangeable. And I just wonder if, if yeah, I know some very top, top performers, yeah, super track record, you know, companies would be foolish not to sign them to longer-term contracts. Yeah, yeah. To bring them in. Now, granted, environments are different and not everything always transfers. We know that, but it's true in sports as well. I mean, culture and organization play a large role in it. But I just, I can sort of foresee this time where, you know, people say, look, yeah, I've got to look after the asset and the asset is me and do the things I need to do that you've talked about, rest and recovery and, and lifestyle. And yeah, well, I'll knock it out of the that, park when I get the chance. Yeah, that would be a, a wild situation if in the future you see different sales organizations trading salespeople because they're under long-term <laughs> contracts and they're trying to find the right culture fit. That would be a, a hilarious situation to, to, yeah, well, to arise. A, yeah, that may be a bridge too far, but I can certainly see <laughs> I can certainly see a scenario where people, uh, sellers, because I, mean, yeah. I think arguably too, is uh, certain sellers can, those that are consistently reliable in their performance, uh, depending on the company and the product, but yeah, are generally underpaid as a percentage of revenue they generate. Yeah, yeah, I would fully agree with that. And I think there's giving healthy kind of the psychological safety, financial safety. There's we'll have some more data data on this coming out in the survey that we just did. But financial safety played mm -hmm. a huge part in overall mental health as sure. sort of a need that needed to be met. Um, right. Not only as within from a mental health standpoint, but also from a sales performance standpoint. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, again, meaningful work kept popping up. They wanted to kind of be selling something that was meaningful and important and doing good in the world. Uh, so yeah, there's. I'm I'm with you. Like the psychological safety is kind of a big piece, and I think we need to start paying salespeople more rather than kind of putting them on the hook for live and die by commission checks and bonus checks. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you can also, in some instances, you can make the case. I mean, uh, I was talking to a gentleman that sold this big deal and and is for a public company, and the announcement of the deal moved the stock pretty substantially. Uh, but he only got a commission. You know, he didn't get mm -hmm. paid according to the value that was generated by the transaction for the company. Another thought as we as we move forward. But anyway, that's all future. All right, well, Jeff. It's been a pleasure talking to you as always. Uh, as we get more research on this, we'll have you back. We'll we'll talk more about it. Uh, in the meantime, 
yeah, if you're a seller out there, start availing yourself of some of the resources that are out there to start tracking some of your your physiological uh, metrics that have an impact on how you perform. Yeah, no, it's great conversation as always, Andy, and grateful to be here. And to anyone that's listening, just just know that Sales Health Alliance was a resource first, business second. So there's roughly 100 pieces of free content, podcasts, articles on the site that you can use to start working on things like mindset resilience. So feel free to check out check out the website um, because there's lots there to help you get started on your journey to better mental health and sales performance. Right, saleshealthalliance.com and Jeff Risley on LinkedIn. All right, Jeff, thank you. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank my guest, Jeff Risley, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd appreciate that. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.